Hello, Let's Get Psyched listeners. This is Dr. Aaron Parks. The show you're about to hear is from 2019 and has as our guest a dear friend of mine, Amy Literal, who worked as a clinical director at both outpatient and residential substance abuse programs. Amy wanted to bring attention to some of the problems associated with substance abuse programs, and we were able to record a pretty good interview. Why am I introducing the show like this? Because on May 22, 2020, Amy Literal was killed by a drunk driver. She was waiting at a stoplight to turn into her neighborhood when a drunk driver hit her from behind, pushing her into oncoming traffic. She was a single mom with an 11-year-old son. Our hearts go out to him and the entire family. Amy was an exceptionally kind and generous person. She was also incredibly smart, funny, and a great therapist. I and so many others miss her greatly. And now, let's get psyched with our guest, my friend, Amy Literal. Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of UCR's Counseling and Psychological Services. I'm joined by my co-host, child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Tosha Yamaguchi. Hello, Tosha. Hi, Dr. Parks. Second year psychiatry resident, Dr. Edgar Ortega. Hi, Edgar. Hello, Dr. Parks and second-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Joshua Poole. Hi, Josh. How you doing, Dr. Parks? We're also now, and from this point forward, joined by our new co-host, third-year psychiatry resident, Dr. D.M. Wynn. Hi, Hi Dr. DM. Parks. Thank you for having <laughs> I'm me. I'm glad you've decided to join us. I'm well, honored to be here. I don't, I don't know. I hope, I hope you're ready for this, but <laughs> um, we're glad to have you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent UCR, UCR Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Well, uh, today's show, um, I know that we've talked about uh, the opiate um, epidemic, and we've had... Um, uh, a, a director of a clinic for a recovery clinic. Um, but we, we kind of want to talk about something that goes on in the recovery game, I guess, to, to say it, um, because it's not, uh, it's not what we think. And I know that a lot of money is now being legislated to treat the um, opiate crisis. And we have on our uh, a guest today that's going to speak directly from experience because she um, was a clinical director. Um, her name is Amy Literal. She's uh, a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's also a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. She's worked in the mental health uh, at the county for six and a half years and then in private rehab industry as a clinical director for four years. Um, and so welcome. Thank Amy. you. Glad to be here. And I'm also a friend of yours. So I just want to be full disclosure. We've been known each other for years. Yes. Like I'll, just, I'll just say. So thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. Um, and I'm just going to throw it to um, Tosha. Tosha, um, so do you have, uh, can you give us a little bit of prep about what we we're kind of getting into as far as uh, recovery clinics and some of the kind of shady dealings that are going on? Okay. So what I was reading about online, and there wasn't a ton of information about this online, but I did find some shady tactics we'll say employed by rehab centers um, that are being discussed one is patient brokering so addiction treatment facilities that are trying to recruit 
more patients to come to their doors so that they can get more money by doing things like actually paying patients to come in with money, drugs, car payments. Um, sometimes facilities will train their patients to, once they become sober and are discharged, to go out into the community and actually recruit other people um, suffering from addiction to come to their facility. Um, another one is sending facilities kickbacks or referral fees for sending a patient over to their facility. Um, one is actually uh, putting, uh, placing staff members or uh, uh, not staff members, but a fake patient um, into a facility to try to do something similar to this as well. Then there are online marketing tactics. Um, something listed in what I was reading was actually hacking into Google and then changing the results of search engines so that um, they automatically, people are automatically forwarded to their treatment site um, or setting up like a generic um, help website that um, secretly, you know, is owned by a treatment facility. So it's, it's um, geared to, to getting, to recruiting patients to their facility. Um, and then another one is patient enticement, where um, when a facility is talking to a potential client, they entice them to their facility by purchasing their flight or food or cigarettes. Hmm. So I don't know if all of this is true, yeah, well, but that's why we have our guests That's why on. we have Amy here. Um, so, okay, so Amy, so you're going to be careful. I, I know that you, um, you've told me this already, that, um, and I agree with you. You're going to be careful not to mention any names or any mm -hmm. recovery centers. Um, but do you have any experience with anything that was just said? Yes. Actually, all of what you said, I've had experience Wow. wow. Okay. Yes. I saw that hit noting this. So she was reading the <laughs> Oh, list. man. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. So, go ahead and start into it. Like, what kinds of things did you notice um, that were really kind of shady? Yeah. So, the things that I noticed was that the they would send somebody in to our treatment center and usually they, the flights were bought for sure when they're coming into treatment. Wow. They were all coming from out of state mostly. So they wanted to see California and they'd advertise it as, uh, let's say, you know, beach something, right? Now how would they do the advertising? Is it cold calling or is it like on the internet or there's, is it paper, newspapers? There's internet, but there's also call centers that they, okay. that they make um, that they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on per month to run oh, these. Wow. Um, and you're right, the Google search engine goes straight to certain ones, you know, in particular. Yeah. And then they get the people out here, and first of all, they land in somewhere like Hemet, for example, oh when they're told that they're going to be doing yoga on the beach. So they'll come in and they'll say, oh, where's the yoga? And I thought we were doing... Like a beach walk this For morning? For people that don't know where Hemet is, <laughs> Hemet is extremely inland in yes. Riverside County. It, yeah, Google that, okay. All Think right, keep going. Breaking Bad. Yeah. Oh, yes. There's, there's a lake okay, uh, in Hemet. <laughs> there's a nice lake. There is a nice lake. It's called it yes. uh, Lake Hemet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, the clients would describe Hemet as the place with brown hills, burnt hills that looked brown. So they were expecting beaches. Oh, okay. so, so they come in and then... This is terrible. I don't want to laugh about it too much. This is terrible. <laughs> yeah. It's a terrible shock when you're in recovery. And you're... But literally, Breaking Everything Bad was based we... off of Hemet, right? It is. Was okay. it? Let's just be... Riverside yeah. County. And they couldn't get the, like, the zoning ordinances in time, so they had to film it in, like, I think, Arizona or New Mexico. Yeah. 
Thank you it for the quick be break of slamming him in. Sorry. The place where I grew up. Just saying. You grew up there? I grew up in him. Did you call it armpit back in the I've heard that one. It has steadily gone down. But yes, my parents brought me to him when I was seven years old, and I grew up there, and then, yeah. So I've seen it he take, came a, out of it take okay. a poor turn. But, okay, we digress, all right? Okay, so we slammed him in enough, okay? So I was going to give it, no, but now as we um, talk about this, you know, we, we periodically say jokes, but we're not going to joke about the seriousness of what's, yes. of what's going on, because some of these folks are in really desperate shape, so it is really unconscionable what they're doing here, right. kind of enticing these folks. Okay, so continue. So the scenario is they come in, and I'll notice upon pretty much the assessment, the biopsychosocial assessment, that... You know, when you ask them what their goals are in treatment, they'll say something like, well, I'm only going to be here for about 10 days. That's the red flag, 10 to 14 days, mm-hmm. because that's when the actual rehab owner pays the marketing company um, the amount that they're going to pay him for bringing the client. Oh. So then the client knows that the marketing company, somebody in the marketing company, they, they have people far removed from the people up top so that, you know, no one goes down, really. Um they will pay the client then on day 10 to leave the treatment center to go so that they can give them drugs in a hotel so they can relapse to go to another treatment center. Oh my God. Because then they'll get another kickback from the next treatment center. Wow. So they, they'll do this. You I'm know. so glad you no longer are involved in any way in this. Oh, thing. yes. Yes. Now, I know. Can you say a little bit about what you currently do? Because I forgot to mention that. Yes. Well, currently I work for uh, a contracted. Um, program called uh, RA International. It's an intensive outpatient program for integrated mental health and substance abuse yeah, treatment. And I, I understand that you left uh, for a, a big reason was because it was you found so much corruption there. So, so much I'm, corruption. I'm so glad yes. that you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm sorry, I I, I, I kind of interrupted you. So yeah, so. that must be hard for staff members there though yes. who don't know go into the business thinking they're going to help people mm-hmm. and then realize they're actually contributing to the to the cycle. Right, and then at some point you start to figure out that it's going on in every almost every center and they're actually all involved with each other so that they'll move from one center to another and that they try to steer the clients also to only you know discharge to certain centers that do the same sort of thing so at some point you you ask yourself okay well this is going on everywhere so then what can I do about this and so then we just try to you know help the people that are in front of us to not get into that game because they'll give them up wow. to $2,000. So can you imagine oh my God, yeah. being desperate in a desperate right. situation in another state with no money to your name, you've lost everything, and then someone's saying, hey, I'll give you $2,000. So those young, probably the average age is around 23 because they're still on their parents' insurance. This is in the private mm-hmm. industry. So um, they're thinking with $2,000, I can get a job, I can you know, get a car, maybe an apartment, and then I can stay sober. But then it's not the reality because with $2,000, that's a huge trigger for somebody that's newly sober that's just right. now entering sort of the stages of post-acute withdrawal symptoms at around week two. So inevitably they relapse and they get stuck in the cycle. And I've also heard about the people that infiltrate. So they will send somebody in. Um, yeah, tell us about that. Well, another treatment center will send somebody in and then that person will pull out large amounts of people at the same time. So they'll go in and take them to the other facility. Mm -hmm. Whoa. And so they'll go in and they'll they'll say, hey, you want to make $2,000? Oh, my God. Are these like the the previous patients for the other facility? Are these like just like workers or like? Um, They're usually people that are newly sober. They, because they continue to relapse as well because what they're doing is not also sitting well with them either I think in certain ways and you know they're not going to stay sober for very long 
they they don't um in fact a lot of these uh, quote-unquote body brokers um are newly sober and just really low on the totem pole in, the, in that marketing company so they are basically disposable to them anyway um and they often relapse so you're well. saying this is at like pretty much every center? Well, I wouldn't say every center because there are good centers out there um, that are doing the right thing, uh, the right way. Um, How can you distinguish those? I think that anytime that you see um, a center that has people leaving around day 10 or day 14 on a consistent basis, um, and then- Should raise some red flags. Yes, and then also if you see them going to the same other treatment centers that are all in cahoots with each other. Like if they're know, associated clinics or yes. something like that. Does it have anything to do with like how exclusive the center is or how much money it is? Because I was reading in my research for this episode that there are like, you know, the, those Hollywood ones where the stars, the celebrities go. Like um, I was reading about Wonderland, which charges $40,000 for a 30-day stay. It's... Um, uh, estate in Beverly Hills. There's like a nutritionist. There's yoga there, spiritual guides, and then I, I guess Lindsay Lohan went there. Mm-hmm. And then there's like passages, which is sixty-seven thousand five hundred fifty dollars per month in Malibu. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, and those those are not. I don't think there's so much involved because they're doing okay. I think. Uh, when you think about it, though, the insurance companies will pay uh, for residential level of treatment. Let's just say. Let's just start there. Actually, I started detox. On average, they were paying back when I was working in the industry around thirty-five hundred dollars per day. Wow! For wow. each per, you know client that came through, and then when you go down to the residential level of care, um, which is one step down, it's it, you're it's talking some, like insurance companies mm-hmm. are paying that much. That's mm-hmm. what's happening is the insurance company. I, these places that are cash pay for forty grand a month, they're probably not doing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's more these other places that are basically taking advantage of the insurance money right that's being paid and then there's also no cap on the number of times you can go to rehab so they just keep basically use it as traveling across the country right these the the clients because they can go it wasn't uncommon to hear 20 to 25 um treatments within one year wow that's that was pretty and it's notoriously hard to like track these down it's really hard to like investigate but i know that there's some investigations going on of them Mm -hmm. and so hopefully they Hopefully, it's, you know, this, they, they catch some of these folks. Because it's terrible how they're taking advantage of both the insurance and people. But do you feel yeah. like sometimes people do get better with some of these things or no? Yeah, there are okay. people that do get better. I mean, so the some people are serious yeah. about it and they get better, even though it might start off as a this kind of kickbacky thing. But Right. And not everyone participates in that. So yeah. not all of the clients, you know, participate that way. Um, there are a lot of them that, that say no to it or... Mm that are just not privy to it because they choose who they're going to tell as well. They're, they're picking the most vulnerable people, you know, and trying to sort of befriend them and take them under their wing. And it's then, like a grooming process. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do we have any estimates of what, because this came up on the research I was doing for this episode. Like we don't even, what if it's this agencies or just in general in the country, like we don't have any ways of measurement recovery rates. Mm-hmm. Like do you have an estimate like how many people maybe out of these, you know, places kind of like a You mean like some... success rates? Oh, like yeah, success. Success. yeah, that's yeah, that's maybe mine. Yeah. Yeah. ones maybe? Or is that what you're... Yeah, I mean, in, in general, it's a very low success rate. I mean, in, in general, just in uh, with the nature of addiction, with how the system is set up, 
um, with what we know about how to treat people, we're, I mean, it's generally low, the yeah. success rate. Just overall, uh, yeah. Like, what I, Yeah, what I did find was that, um, I guess, experts in the field, quote unquote, would say that at best, the success rate is like 30%, and at the worst, it's like 5%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found somewhere in between like 10 to 19 or in general, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's not uncommon that people drop out, even if there is no shading that's going on. Right. Multiple dropouts. And so it's hard to determine it just statistically sometimes. Right. Mm -hmm. But then Mm -hmm. I I saw other statistic, and then maybe you guys know more about this, that relapse rate in recovery, successful recovery, ranges from like 40 to 60%. Mm -hmm. Not sure if this is just like in substance uh, use disorders or a dual diagnosis when they also have like a mental illness because they compare this relapse rates from 40 to 60 percent if you compare that to hypertension or asthma the other rates are 50 to 70 percent meaning that recovery rates are along that line of any other medical illness but i'm not sure and part are. of the problem too is just like the definition of success at a rehab facility is hard to define and how you measure it is hard to define. It can be kind of a slippery um, endpoint. So like some examples I found online were, you know, are you looking at, do the people complete the program? Um, Are they sober immediately after treatment? Um, Are you looking at client interviews only or are there lab tests involved? Mm -hmm. So like afterwards when you're following up like three months later with a patient, um, are you just taking the patient at his or her word saying like, oh, yeah, I'm sober. I'm still sober. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I have objective ways. Right. Go ahead. We don't have just like any objective ways, I guess. Yeah, you really can't have an effective treatment center unless there is objective measurements like regular and random. Mm-hmm. objective like um, you know urine or blood testing or something and apparently there's no standard definition to what is rehab treatment right i mean there's no accepted like this is the way you do it there's no manual yeah. right there's they, many yeah. different ways there i mean if you're there's certain certifications you can get like you can get, become a JCO certified which is a little bit of a higher standard you know the practices need, need to be evidence based and this sort of thing but yeah at the end of the day it is hard to really measure it because they are going on report of the person right but they do know as far as what I've heard is that if they surpass one year of sobriety their chances go up of staying sober and then if you say that five years mm-hmm. that they've been sober then it's it's even higher mm-hmm. but it's that one year mark that's really rough to reach oh yeah for sure okay um just reminding you uh, you're listening to let's get psyched on kucr and we're talking about some of the the shady practices that are going on in recovery centers around the country um with someone who has some personal experience heard some things pieced together some things saw some things and then ultimately left the industry because of how um corrupt it was um we also want to make sure um that we talk about what is important in recovery we know um, you kind of were, were starting on that down that line, um, Tosha. Um, so, what, Amy, do you feel are absolutely essential components of very of effective uh, substance abuse treatment that mm-hmm. you for sure want to see? So, if my you know brother or sister or family member had some sort of addiction problem, and I'm trying to get the look, locate the best, what would I look for? Um, I think you'd look for the uh, the evidence based practices. I think you'd look for to be sure that there are staff there that are qualified so that have either KDAC certifications or LADAC certifications and then, um, you know, 
psychologist or licensed marriage family therapist um, so that you have representative both sides of, you know, the mental health and substance abuse. Because, I mean, it's very rare that you see someone that's just purely substance abuse diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's going to be m- how many were dual diagnosed? What percentage would you estimate were dual diagnosed? They had some uh, sort 90, of mental health issue 90, and 90 percent. 90. It was that least, high. Yeah, it's very high. Oh, dang. And they may not have known it, but then when mm-hmm. they're going through the assessment, you know, mm-hmm. lo and behold, they've got OCD or um, obsessive compulsive disorder. Yes. Mm-hmm. I would be astounded if someone with an addiction diagnosis didn't have an underlying right. uh, psychiatric mm-hmm. illness. You know? Yeah. What is your thoughts on that? Do you feel like one causes the other? Um, Wait, yeah. Which which I, way do you I feel, feel like most uncomfortable common? feelings cause use cause them to numb themselves? It's um, a cycle. Most, they, they feed each other for sure. Right. Yeah. And there's almost always trauma as well. So How, what what is your estimate about trauma? Like some sort of trauma Ooh. experiences? Well, you know, I would I would in the ninety percent again with the ninety. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then if you take you, females, yeah. for example. So I think this is going to increase our sympathy for folks that are in the because I know that a lot of people out there are thinking, well, you kind of got with addiction. I feel mm-hmm. most more than something like OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder that you were talking about. I feel like some people look at addiction as it's more of a choice. The other thing right. is the addiction component itself is so um, biological, you know, it's yes. so genetically linked. So then you're thinking of what does that mean for the family? The parents probably had a substance abuse problem. So if the parents had a substance abuse problem, there's likely there was neglect, uh, abuse possibly, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's yes. going to be trauma just like thinking about it that way too. Yes. A lot of factors involved. Yeah. Definitely. And that's you just set up for usually that. the case as well. Okay, that's so what if I um, experienced this program? So I went in, I saw, okay, there's comp- a comp- um, really competent staff here with a, a number of different kinds of um, qualifications and licensing. What, what, what do they actually do like during the day uh, or during the okay. evening? What, 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 do, what do I want to see in a quality program? So at the residential level of care, which is one step below detox, so they've been, let's say, medically detoxed if they needed that, um, then they go to residential level. And that's usually anywhere between 15 to 30 days um, where they would be living at, you know, living wherever they're doing treatment or being shuttled. Actually, they're supposed to be living where they're doing treatment in residential. So they would live in a house. Um, then they would come together for groups um, pretty much for the, from 9 a.m. all the way till around 4 p.m. G- group? Wow. Group Groups? therapy. So like how, how, how many hours of groups is that, though? It's six, a, that's not one after another, is it? It's at least six hours. Six hours of groups a day? Per day. Mm-hmm. Six hours of group a day. Now, that's unless unless you're at one of these, like, flexible, exclusive centers. Like, okay. apparently, Lindsay Lohan got to go. and No, no, some some celebrity at the um, Passages or whatever that one was. Oh, okay, the one in Malibu? The, oh. Yeah, Wonderland, I think I said. Okay. Um, they have this flexible policy where, like, if they have a celebrity who's on tour, they can go what? and do their concerts. Oh, really? yeah, you could just send them come with back. a sober coach. Yeah. And then they come back. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They have to take coach. someone from the facility. Cool. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Who's cool. down to party. <laughs> <laughs> and keep their mouth shut. No. So you don't, you don't think... I, I don't see that, Tosha, that you feel like that... Um, Lindsay Lohan had six hours of group day. 
I don't think you don't think so. Well, group includes okay. also though. She got to go out and go shopping. Uh, yeah, well, group. Was there a shopping bar? The the was there a shopping bar? Oh, yeah. Shopping is okay. definitely Isn't that part of like therapy. Okay. I mean, they can make anything therapeutic. Let's just <laughs> Show say. Hands. Right? Shopping is uh, therapeutic. <laughs> okay, I got that. Making fun. All right. Okay. I'm sorry. We're, again, yeah. we're being a little too jokey, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so what else? So group therapy. So, so group now, now, wait, 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 wait. What is the group on? It can't okay, be just twelve step stuff because that's my assumption. There's usually a twelve step focus, but then there are a lot of, especially the millennial population is not so up for the 12 step philosophy so Ooh, we just we talked about that sorry if anyone's yeah. a millennial I probably you all are millennials no, are so not as religious yeah. is that yeah yes. I think that's what it is and it's also um, yeah I think I, without going into too much detail they, they're they not slam so millennials yeah, on this do. show uh, yeah. no not I just mean, not millennials back. I was going <laughs> to slam the rigidity of the 12 status oh okay uh, and then also just sometimes it's exclusatory because they'll they'll have to go to meetings let's say as well so and just that it's religious A-N-A. too mm-hmm. yes it's pretty darn religious and if you're an NA going to uh, Narcotics Anonymous or, or an AA meeting and you're actually let's say a heroin user you're basically mm-hmm. outcasted when you get mm-hmm. to the meeting. You sit down, and it's supposed to be all, you know, inclusive, inclusive. and everyone's yeah. supposed to be all connected. Yeah. And then the alcohol folks, I, I've heard that. Yes, one too. the alcohol folks mm-hmm. are like, mm, you guys are all junkies. You need to get out of here. So then they. I never, I never, I never shot something in my veins. Yeah. Yes, right. yes. So that happens a lot. Um, so we try to, we would try to steer them away from from those meetings. But um, yeah, so for the most part, you'd have like DBT, dialectical behavioral That's a good therapy. One. Yeah, sure. You'd have. Um, how, how to manage your emotions, DBT, yes. dialectical behavior therapy mm-hmm. to how to manage your emotions. Yes. Great. How to manage your emotions. Um, and then there would be, there's, um, you know, how to identify triggers, how to okay. cope with urges to use, um, relapse prevention type groups. Um, that sounds good. This sort of thing. Um, there's di- several different curriculums. Matrix is one of them where it's basically relapse prevention. Um, we'd have, there would be music groups. There would be. What, what is that? What is cool, music? Yeah. An example of one would be um, a, they would play like a song that resonated with somebody that meant oh, something okay. to somebody, and then they'd use it as a processing tool to mm-hmm. identify and process emotions. Um, and now, I, I took a training on substance abuse counseling back in the day when I was getting my certificate. But, um, and then one of the things we did in the training was draw with our left or our non dominant hand mm-hmm. without looking down at the paper. Now, is that any part of the treatment? <laughs> At the I'm time, sure I thought it was very people. odd and weird. And I, why am I learning this? No, I'm you've sure never heard of that one, have you? I haven't heard of that okay. particular one, but they can make anything therapeutic, I'm just saying. So okay. then they would have Music sounds nice, as well. though. Yeah, yeah music's sure. good. They would have all kinds of... Yoga sounds nice. ...special people come in um, to do certain... There's, a, there's something called breath works that kind of similar to... Almost like Kundalini yoga in some ways, I think. Now, what is Kundalini yoga? It's just a lot of breathing okay. techniques. And, um, it, gosh. That sounds, that could be good. Yeah. 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 Oh, there's there, there are good treat. There's good treatment there. You know, once uh, you have good staff there because so they So that's the kind of things that, that you hope for. Like maybe you heard here and there there could be some shadiness, but there can be actual good treatment. You can actually right. get better. Right. You can the, hook someone in mm-hmm. and it'll work. Yes, and the people there that are treating them do mean well, I, I believe. So I wanted to ask, um, when referencing some of the shadiness that's been going on, was anything done? Was there any like formal investigation? Does like, Do people know about this in sort of like the enforcement communities? Um, yes, yeah, so there's 
gosh, the FBI, I guess, was over in Orange County because there's a large concentration of um, treatment centers in Orange County and in Florida. So they went to Florida first, shut down many places, went to Orange County next, shut down many places. Mm. Whenever I would bring it to the attention of the owner of the facility where I was working, they they would say, okay, we're not using that person anymore, that marketer anymore, and they mm. would cut them off for... Okay. Mm couple months. So they would be responsive. Wow. Yes. And then for, but they then would other pop ones back would up. pop back up. A new name or, or something. Or they'd blame it on the one particular fall guy, right? Wow. That was, and they so say, this oh, is, well, he was it's like whack-a-mole. It's really hard to wow. get, because the more the money is, there's going to be new organizations going to pop up for sure, grabbing that money. Right. Wow. And then they have it a certain way how they, so they pay the marketing company, let's say, 10 grand per month, and the marketing's not very specific. It's just, here's 10 grand, and they... Ooh, and you don't know where the money is. It's not time. Oh. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm sure, I'm I'm hoping the FBI was still hot on the trail of those folks. Yes. A lot of people have been closed. (laughs) Shut them down. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. Wow. The the other thing I wanted to follow up to, since we mentioned dual diagnosis before, is like, is this why, like, being in the psych wards, you discharge a patient, you know, and they, they have some sort of drug, methamphetamine, stimulant use, put them on medications, et cetera, and then they come back two or three weeks later, and they're doing the same thing. It's just mm-hmm. kind of part of the cycle, too. Yeah, I think it could be, or it could just be that um, maybe they relapsed, maybe they didn't take their medicine, maybe they didn't have a good support system, um, maybe they're not connected well with people. They don't feel connection. Because I hear that we send some people to, to residential places, and that's where the drugs are at. So Sometimes. I'm not sure. Yes. Um, Amy, where if you had uh, a pot of money to place in some sort of... Uh, treatment uh, or intervention, where would it, and you could pick, pick prevention too. Mm-hmm. Where would you put this mu- our resources? What, what would you devote it to? I would just devote it to a, maybe a well-known rehab center that's doing the right thing, and so that they can make more of those. Um, I know of a few that are just they don't take any of the um, you know the market so that they could survive they could thrive they could offer their services for low cost sometimes for people that can't afford it perhaps Mm -hmm. that have the evidence based practices that are hiring people so there is good treatment out there that's really good to yeah good to say Okay, and that's all the time we have for on this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Thank you for joining us today. We discussed uh, the shady and um, sometimes illegal practices of uh, recovery centers in the area, and we were uh, glad to have as our special guest, uh, Amy Literal. Um, thank you to our co-hosts, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi, Dr. Edgar Ortega, and Dr. Joshua Poole, um, and also our newest uh, panelist and co-host, uh, third-year psychiatry resident, Dr. DM Wynn. Thank Thank you you for joining us. Um, Special thanks to our producer, Elliot Fong. This episode was recorded in the studios of KUCR on the campus of University of California, Riverside. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.